This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And who loves vacationing on islands? Islands are fun, right? I don't... Have you I mean, taken some, an island some, vacation, right? Like a, tro- like a tropical island. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we went to um, went to St. John for our honeymoon. Sure. Susanna and I did, not you and I. We went no, somewhere else. No, I, I think <laughs> I drove your car for your honeymoon is what you I did. did. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a fine drive. Uh, that part of Virginia was was lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not doxing anyone. It was just part of the route. Um, you don't know the beginning and the end point. Anyway, <laughs> let's take an island vacation, Andrew. I okay. wa- I've never been to. A, is this going to be a tropical island? Yeah, it's kind of got like jungles. Okay, great. I've and never beaches. Been to a jungle island. Very secluded. You only get like one boat a year at most. Whoa. So I'll have the place all to myself. No one else will be there, right? Well, not many people there. Not many people? Yeah, not many people there. Is there anyone else? Just not a lot of people. Hmm. You keep answering it the same way in a way that leads (laughs) me to believe that Mm -hmm. there are other things on this island that I... We'll find out at some point in my vacation, and I may mm-hmm. regret going there. I mean, the wildlife is is quite captivating. Is it we'll, to die we'll for? But it depends. Okay. For some people. Welcome to our book podcast, where one of us reads a book, and the other one tells us about it. It is Spooktober week two. Spooktober. And we thought, what could be scarier than some classic science fiction? Mm-hmm about um, really out there scientific practices yeah. that yield horrifying results. And then next week we're going to do some uh, science fan fiction. Yeah. Right? Because we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> that's uh, the, the daughter of Dr. Moreau's because because we had we had not done Dr. Mo- Moreau before. I read this week for our book podcast, The Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells. Yep. Uh, and one reason we wanted to do this is because uh, is it? Uh, it's still Moreno, Moreno Garcia. Moreno yeah. Garcia, yeah. A, a Spooktober standby of ours the last couple of years. Uh, she did a follow up called "The Daughter of Doctor Moreau," and we're like, "Well, why don't we just do a one-two? Because that's like, yeah, half the month then that we don't have to think of other books for, and also it'll just be fun to talk about these books. Well, and it's it's also you know it's fun because we get to read. A classic white guy, mm-hmm. and we get to read uh, a not classic white guy. In yeah. fact, a cool lady, a cool lady uh, who's like from our time mm-hmm. and has her own things to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a little ways into that book. We won't talk about that book this episode because I kind of want to get Andrew's reaction to it. You know, pure uncut next week, right? Um, so I'm excited that for you to tell me about this book. I've never read this book. I will say it's kind of a creepy one. Ooh. It's it's pretty spooky. It's I'm not always worried. Sometimes you, sometimes you hit these old books and yeah. it's like, well, this is silly. You can yes. see the the mask. You can see like the yeah. the rubber on the mask of the uh-huh. of the monster. But no, this one's pretty creepy. Okay, this is not our first Wells. Um, our most recent. It's not one. our first. Not our first trip to the Wells. No. It is not. We've <laughs> hung out with Herbert George before. Um, most recently, episode 496, The Invisible Man. Before that, episode 352, The Time Machine. And way back, episode 11, War of the Worlds. Oh, man. we've So we've been to the Wells This is our fourth times. time. This is our fourth time to the Wells. Yeah. Over we've... like 11 years. <laughs> so, you know, we're not going to talk about him extensively. I have a few just quick reminders um, you know, he was born in Kent, 1866. He died in London, 1946. He's a novelist, journalist, sociologist, historian. 
He was a science teacher. I just have my notes here. Sci-fi daddy, it says. I wrote sci-fi daddy. Sci-fi daddy. I mean, did he have children? Um, great question. Okay. Not just... in my notes here. Go All back right. and listen to an old episode. Well, stop appropriating daddy then, please. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> him and Jules Verne are like the two guys, mm-hmm. right? In, 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 the, in the Western canon. Um, his first book, actually, though, was a biology textbook. Ooh. Um, so now I there's, I'm like, okay. That, yeah. I mean, he, it seems like the, the books that I've read seem like they at least have enough of a scientific backing to make them seem plausible, even though the whole thing about the invisible man is like, <laughs> how can you see if, if like eyes can't, if, if like light can't hit your ocular yeah, nerve or sure. whatever, like there, there were problems with that one, but <laughs> well, and what I, this one, this really, one, and I think most of them, but this one especially is like. I'm not going to get close enough to the science that you can dispute any of what's happening. <laughs> sure. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and this is his third novel after The Time Machine, which was his first novel, big success, and something called The Wonderful Visit. I can't remember if I've talked about this before. I just need you to know it's the premise is what if an angel visited London and was shot on sight? Okay. What and, if God was one of us? And... Uh, the angel visited London and was like, wow, people suck until he met a girl who was pure of heart and mm-hmm. the novel ends. That seems kind of out of keeping yeah. with the rest. We don't rest really talk about the wonderful visit, do we? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hadn't really realized that like basically every H.G. Wells book I've ever heard of, including all the ones we've covered on the show, were like in his first decade of writing. Mm-hmm. Like he's his first marriage ended, he remarries, and then he kind of embarks. That's when like he embarks on this writing career. That's just kind of where the dates line up. And everything I've ever heard of is in those first like ten years, and everything else I don't know. He's he's he was writing for mm-hmm. a long time, mm-hmm. but that's the the books that we think of when we think of H.G. Wells. Got are, all his hits out of the way early. Yeah, I mean, if he had a time, his first book was the Time Machine. He probably oh. had a huge like a a decade spanning career, and then. He was like, what if, no, what will happen is he was like, okay, I invented a time machine. I'm going to write a book about that. Then I'm going to use the time machine to keep visiting myself. I'm going to take all my best ideas and I'm going to steal them from myself and publish them now so I can enjoy the spoils of my, of my, of my efforts, you know, but before. because I wrote a book called the time machine, no one will suspect that this elaborate chair is in fact a time machine. Right. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. And also the guy in the time machine, like does it bad and like ends badly <laughs> as I recall. So like no one's going to think that I'm I good at that. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was just double checking his biography. You know, you referenced the various sites. I wound up on Britannica.com. It was a biography on his legacy. And sometimes you go to these sites and there's just like, I don't know why Norman Cornthwaite Nicholson, a, a a scholar, I'm sure. I mean, just, with a name like that, what else could he be? <laughs> just came in with some editorializing here. As a creative writer, his reputation rests on the early science fiction books and on the comic novels. In his science fiction, he took the ideas and fears that haunted the mind of his age, gave them symbolic expression as brilliant conceived fantasy made credible by the quiet realism of its setting. Cool. In the comic novels, though his psychology lacks subtlety and the construction of his plots is often awkward, he shows a fund of humor and a deep sympathy for ordinary people. And then here's where I was like, what? Wells' prose style is always careless and lacks grace. That he has his own <laughs> gift of phrase and a true ear for vernacular speech, especially that of the lower middle class of London and Southeast England. Wait, so what, which is it? What is it, dude? Is he bad at writing or is he good at writing? You're writing about his legacy. Is his legacy is that he was good despite his faults, I guess? My favorite line in this is it's like it's it's a couple of guys like the stuff has kind of started to fall apart and it's a couple of guys talking and one of them is saying to the other, what's it all for, Prendick? Are we bubbles blown by a baby? (laughs) Yes. Like, yes. Like, our, like is our, does life is just, it's short and transitory and meaningless. Like, are we all bubbles blown by a baby? I love it. <laughs> uh, this book was published in 1896. Um, There's an essay he wrote that came the year before called The Limits of Individual Plasticity, in which he talks about the plasticity of animals and uh-huh. biological forms. Mm-hmm. Is this a reference to like, is is plastic surgery like a 
a field that's just getting, you talked about how he takes the, like the fears of his age. This, this is about science being used to like alter the appearance and like behavior of things. So like, is this, yeah, that is, is what this is happening. Okay. He is saying the default form may be altered and it could continue. The creature could continue to survive, but it would not be a lasting change. Um, and that the, you know, if you, if you somehow used science, uh, vivisection, which we'll talk about, you know, experimenting on live animals to change a creature, um, it would not change it such that it would then like have changed offspring. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, you know, advances we can, we can make through doing, he's just like, there's, this essay is out there. It's floating in the world. It's in response to the 19th century. There's a lot of various advances, advances in like surgical technique and our understanding of germs and the, uh, the introduction, introduction, excuse me, of um, anesthesia. Mm-hmm. And so you can do different procedures. Um, but there's also this thing where uh, people are operating on live animals kind of just to prove that they can do it and maybe learn things by... Like, there's this guy in France who is, like, doing live displays of vivisection where he's like poking a dog's brain to like make its legs move and stuff. Okay, sure, cool. Um, this guy Francois Mejdi, uh, Mejendi, and so like, I, I read some essays uh, <laughs> in ver- like some on the NIH website um, that are like, listen, this was at a time the French Revolution had just happened, and there's this cultural fear of like bloodlust and you know wanton violence and then there's these french doctors who are cutting open dogs and like doing it quote unquote in the name of science mm-hmm. and so the british scientific community is all concerned about vivisection there is a huge and it happens in america too there's this huge like anti-vivisectionist movement where this is like a you know you can think about it as like an animal right like the beginning of the animal modern animal rights movement mm-hmm. um and it does spawn the Cruelty to Animals Act in 1876 in Britain um, that, like, of course, some people w- thought it didn't go far enough and some people thought it was, too, you know, allowed too much to still happen. Uh-huh. So no it would really would have been better, really would have been better not to do anything than maybe. If, you're, if you're going off of, like, our modern understanding of how legislative bodies work. <laughs> yeah, as a form of regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just this kind of... I think he is responding to the fears of his age here in the sense of what what is science capable of? What are we willing to let it be capable of? And what does it mean about us okay. as people, mm-hmm. as, as, as animals that are also man? Mm-hmm. Manimals. Um, the, the trailer for the 1970s version of this film does end with the word humanimals. <laughs> And I want to like a like a 90s sort of like cookie that you would dunk in frosting or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah, for, for sure. Like a graham cracker cookie that you would dunk in dunk in just buttercream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You animals. Um, and this film, not this film, this book has been adapted to film three times. There was a Bela Lugosi film in 1932 called Island of Lost Souls, um, which may or may not have been banned and censored in some areas because of implications of bestiality. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the 1977 version with Burt Lancaster and Michael York, and then there was a 1996 version with Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer that just everything about it was wrong, apparently. The whole production process was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can well, go find That's it. one of like Brando's last yeah, dude. movies, right? Like, and yeah. he was phoning it in all the way. Um the New York Times Archive Review says, while cast as a brilliant and dangerous pioneer in the field of genetic engineering, Brando treats this as an opportunity to play the Queen of England for reasons that perhaps only he understands. <laughs> Here is a photo of him as Dr. Moreau, Andrew. Oh, boy. He looks like some sort of space pope. Oh, wow. He, yeah. He, ooh, whoa, whoa. I don't understand the context. I, that shot is in the trailer. I don't know. Scary. What okay. is happening? Sure. He um, looks like... Chief Palpatine on vacation, I guess. 
But yeah, if you are into like kind of disastrous movie pro- uh, projects and want to read about it, just Google anything about the 96 Moreau. Okay. Uh, but I have not seen either of those films. I don't really know what happens in the book, Andrew. And that, of course, is where you come in mm-hmm. to tell me all about it. So The Island of Dr. Moreau, we've read some of these older science fiction books. I think Frankenstein is probably one of the big ones, but yeah. it's sort of kind of epistolary in the oh, sense sure. that the the first bit of it is some guy being like, I got this weird diary journal thing from my uncle, from my uncle Edward. Ooh. And... People have been to this island and we can't really verify any of the stuff that he talks about because we found some like weird mice, but that was it. (laughs) (laughs) But I am just going to present this to you, the reader, and you can make of it what you will. Sounds like a great way to start a podcast. Yeah, it's a great, great way to start a podcast. Okay. Uh, So Edward Prendick is, he's from England like everybody was in those days. (laughs) 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 It's England Times. And he... Has survived a shipwreck. He's he's in like a he's in a lifeboat, kind of drifting, and he is picked up by another ship, and the captain's not very nice to him because the captain's drunk all the time. But this guy Montgomery kind of like takes a shine to him a little bit, and they are headed to a, Montgomery is headed to like an island. And I can't. I bet. I bet you'll never guess what island it is that they're headed to. Is it the island of Doctor Murrow? Yeah, that's the island, baby. Okay, where and where is, is this? It's tropical and jungly. Is it? It's any in, more specific yeah, it's than in the that? Pacific Ocean somewhere. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and so they're they're sailing. They're going to get there. There's some just some weird some. There's some animals on this boat, and there's like a kind of a weird guy who. Something about his like his comportment and the way that he moves is a little unnatural and strange. And so they get to the island. Montgomery doesn't want him to come to the island, but the captain doesn't want to take him. <laughs> and so they both argue. And then Prendick just kind of gets thrown overboard in the boat that they picked him up in. And he is, you know, he's been drifting out in the ocean for for days and days and he's weak and his boat's just kind of drifting away. And he's like, oh, I guess I'll die then. <laughs> And at the last second, Montgomery and some of the people who are helping Montgomery row out and they grab Prendick and they bring uh, they bring him to the island. Okay. Um, yeah, Montgomery, like he used to live in London, but some he had some strange, like bad turn of luck and was just kind of expelled from or was expelled from or ran from polite society and it ended up just being a, a weird guy on this island. So he works on the island. He works on the island. There are other people working on the island, but man, they all they all seem weird and they move weird too. Um <laughs> how is that dis- I don't know if you have a quote to hand, but like how is that described? I I'm familiar with this kind of conceit especially in this era of sci-fi where it's just like believe me man it was weird like is it yeah, more specific it, than that okay here, here's a here's a description of some of the other some of the other men that you're seeing on this island with montgomery mm-hmm. um from him my eyes traveled to his three men and a strange crew they were i saw only their faces yet there was something in their faces i knew not what that gave me a spasm of disgust i looked steadily at them and the impression did not pass though i failed to see what had occasioned it uh, they seemed to me then to be brown men, but their limbs were oddly swathed in some thin, dirty white stuff down even to the fingers and feet. I've never seen men so wrapped up before and women so only in the East. They wore turbans too, and there under peered out their elfin faces at me, faces with protruding lower jaws and bright eyes that lank black hair, almost like horse hair, and seemed as they sat to exceed in stature any race of men I have seen. The white-haired man, who I knew was a good six feet in height, sat ahead below any one of the three. I found afterwards that really none were taller than myself, but their bodies were abnormally long, and the thigh part of the leg short and curiously twisted. At any rate, they were an amazingly ugly gang, and over the heads of them, under the forward lug, peered the black face of the man whose eyes were luminous in the dark. So okay. just seeing a bunch of seeing a bunch of guys who... I mean, I guess they're humans because without any context for thinking that they would be anywhere, anything else, like what else would you believe them to be? Yes. But their bodies are a little weird and they move a little weird. Yeah. Well, and there's something and about like, their faces. and the, the math doesn't add up when mm-hmm. you're looking at them. Okay. Yeah. Just, like it's line. that thing where you look at, it's an uncanny valley yes. sort of thing yes. where you look at it and your brain's like, I don't, I 
maybe I can't describe to you exactly why this looks weird. I just know that it looks weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So he's seeing these these people that he doesn't understand. Yeah, they're all kind of unloading the stuff from the the boat and loading it, it on the bring transporting it to the island basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it does not like so. Prendick is not on this island for long before he gets a really good look at one of the of the people and sees that they have this weird like pointed ear. Oh, uh, yeah. Under stringy black locks, I saw his ear. It jumped upon me suddenly close to my face. The man had pointed ears covered with fine fur. And it's like, what? What's going on? <laughs> and Prendick is he is he starts like wandering around and he sees like these strange like pig creatures that oh also boy. seem like they have kind of human features. He just sees a lot of, it's just a lot of weird stuff happening and a lot of weird animals and, and beings. Did you come into this book knowing the premise? I knew that it had something to do with, I thought that it was like human animal hybrids and it's not quite that. I thought that Moreau was like combining people and animals together. And so I, I guess I came into it thinking, Oh, Prendick is going to be experimented upon himself. Oh, Okay. But that's not that's not quite what is going on. All right, great. All right. Uh, sure. So Prendick gets he gets like chased by by one of these things. It's clear that there are lots of them all over the island that are not necessarily just like in the employ of Montgomery. And he is hearing like the screams of this puma that was puma puma the puma, puma? the animal yeah yeah puma puma uh, who was who was brought with them on this boat and. The screen that it just seems like this puma's in a lot of pain. Okay, and it's yowling and screaming over and over again. And there's like something about the quality of its screams that are getting weird. And he's so like he's like I gotta take a walk. And he sees these weird pig things, and he gets chased by like a, a another not quite human looking thing. And he asks Montgomery, "Man, you gotta tell me what what is going on here." And it comes <laughs> it comes to light that. Montgomery works for this guy named Moreau and Prentick is like, Moreau, what do I remember this? Like, Oh, there was a guy in London who was like doing vivisection experiments. Sure. And he got exposed for doing like weird and gruesome vivisection experiments. And then he was kind of chased out of polite society. And after, so, uh, The exact sequence of events escapes me, but like Prendick runs away. He like makes the acquaintance of this, this ape man who brings him back to his like shelter because Prendick doesn't want to be around like Moreau's place anymore because there's some weird stuff going on there. Sure. Uh, So he goes down to like this place where a bunch of the animals live and he meets this, he meets several creatures that can like talk, but are clearly not, not right. (laughs) Oh, no. In some way, just like everybody else, and are they still? Can I just ask? Are they still in service of Moreau where they live? Not, or? not. They're not in service of him. But let me describe to you what okay. the relationship is. Sure, is there? All these animals are like chanting, and they they are they have some kind of like a fear of of Moreau, and they've got these rules that they're supposed to follow. Um. So not to go on all fours, that is the law. Are we not men? Not to suck up drink, that is the law. Are we not men? To eat, not to eat flesh or fish, that is the law. Are we not men? Not to claw the bark of trees, that is the law. Are we not men? Not to chase other men, that is the law. Are we not men? Uh, and then they, you know, they they chant the laws for a while, and then here's another. Then they start chanting, "His is the house of pain. His is the hand that makes. His is the hand that wounds. His is the hand that heals." And so Prendick goes through all this and then Moreau and Montgomery track him down and find him. And Moreau is like, okay, man, I hate, I didn't want another person on my Island, but like, if you have questions, I guess I can answer them for you. Yeah. Cause you're here now and I'm not going to yeah. let you leave. Um, and he starts telling, uh, Prendick about the, the stuff that he's up to mainly that he is, operating on animals because he thinks he can add to like he can he can make them more human he can change mm-hmm. their minds and also their brains mm-hmm. and make them more human um, so two things real mm-hmm. quick yes did you know that um the hip-hop group house of pain takes its name from this book 
Uh, no, but I know now. I know that now. This is the House that. of Pain. Yeah, it's the House of Pain. Um, and when I was looking up just this book in general, it was one of those weird recursive genre things where uh, it has been kind of retrofitted into a sci-fi trope called uplifting, which is the kind of you see this in in plenty of sci-fi, like space stuff, where like there's a sentient species. That is like, oh, I will. We will take this other species from this other planet and, like, you know, give them our technology, or mm-hmm. we will experiment on them, or something mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. like give them sentience or bring them into their level of society or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, cool. I get that's not that is kind of what he's doing here. I thought that was neat. Didn't realize that like the term uplift is taken from a guy in the eighties who wrote a, some books called the uplift series. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's all right, but fine. Making yourself part of this narrative, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It is, you know, it is a trope though. It's interesting to see it grounded in like, I've only really encountered it in like space sci-fi. Sure. Yeah. Where there's like a forerunner society that is like, we will make these, mm-hmm. you know, worms into creatures and then we lose control of them or whatever but so this is this is prendick but said i these things these animals talk uh and he's talking to moreau he said that was so and proceeded to point out that the possibilities of vivisection do not stop at a mere physical metamorphosis a pig may be educated the mental structure is even less determinate than the bodily in our growing science of hypnotism, we find the promise of a possibility of replacing old inherent instincts by new suggestions, grafting upon or replacing the inherited fixed ideas. Uh, very much indeed of what we call moral education is such an artificial modification and perversion of instinct. Pugnacity is trained into courageous self-sacrifice and suppressed sexuality into religious emotion. And the great difference between man and monkey is in the larynx, he said, in the incapacity to frame delicately different sound. Symbols by which a thought could be sustained. In this, I failed to agree with them, but with a certain incivility, he declined to notice my objection. He repeated <laughs> that the thing was so and continued his account of his work. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it, so Moreau is just out here. He's been chased out of society. He's just like making animals more like people. And he says, you know, I can't, I can't get it quite right. Everybody kind of freaks out when they see my animal people. And I can't make it so that their offspring are anything other than animals. And also eventually they all, there's something of the beast that's, that survives in them that like grows again after, after a while. Sure. Um, so he's, you know, he, he is doing all these experiments. There are dozens of these things on this Island. He has set up this, this law for them to follow and to like drill into each other. And so it's all to that, keep them from being animalistic. To keep them, well, mostly to keep them from, like, getting really mad at the guy who mutilated them and coming well, after him. fair enough, <laughs> sure. So, like, yeah, you, you don't get drunk, you don't go on all fours, you don't eat flesh or fish because you don't, you don't want the animals to get the taste of blood, basically. Yeah. And the first sign we get that things are starting to kind of fall apart is, like, Prendick and Montgomery stumble on this, like, mutilated rabbit. Like, the... the Montgomery had brought rabbits back to the island so that the humans would have food to to hunt. They have some meat mm-hmm. to eat, uh, but the animals have gotten the animal people have gotten to it. Uh oh! And Montgomery's like, uh oh, this is no good. This isn't good for us. Prendick is like kind of grossed out by all of this. He he does not like the animal people. Mon- he thinks that Montgomery has too much sympathy for the animal people. And so he doesn't like Montgomery either. Oh, wow. And Moreau's just like not around all that much because he is conducting experiments on all of these all the animals. So Prendick has no like these poor creatures in him at this time, if I mean, ever. Eh, like it's, okay. it's not a huge. It's not a big part of it. Yeah, because mostly he's disgusted by them, but that's mostly him being disgusted, I think, by what Moreau is doing and what Montgomery is doing. Sure. And then by the time you get to the point where he could be having sympathy with some of these animals, he is in like full on survival mode and just like trying not to get killed himself. Sure. Uh, So things start to go south um, around, around this point. And then the big like incident that the book revolve like turns on is this Puma creature who's been experimented on 
and yowling and being in obvious pain this whole time escapes Mm. like just like yanks their manacle out of the wall and runs away Mm. and Moreau goes to chase after the puma and the puma gets killed but so does Moreau and Moreau is dead oh no and Prendick is you know he 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 knows the the score he knows that one of the things that keeps these animal people from unionizing and then killing the humans is their fear of Moreau as some kind of like God King. And it's not, it's not that he has to like, he doesn't like administer anything. It's not like on um, Jurassic park where they have to like feed them food to keep them on the Island. Like he has no, he's not like administering medicine to them every day or anything. Right. No, it's just no, that no, they no, fear no. his ability to come and mess with them or something. Yeah. And just like, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay. um, but he's gone now, the, but Moreau has gone. And Prendick's like, well, no, he's he's still he he's just like ascended beyond the need for a body. He's still alive, and you still need to be afraid of him. But not all of the animal people are really buying. Oh, um, and so he and Montgomery are talking about what happens next, and are both like pretty worried. This is when the the are we bubbles blown by a baby thing comes <laughs> up. Um. And Montgomery having, you know, having some sympathy with the animal people like goes out and decides to get them drunk. Montgomery's kind of alky. And one of mm. the points of tension, like one of the reasons why Montgomery and Prendick can't be pals is that Prendick, Prendick is a teetotaler and Montgomery is definitely not. <laughs> sure. Uh, but Montgomery goes out with his like animal helpers and he's like, let's all get drunk. And so they do. And while they're getting drunk, they like chop up the the boats that are on the island and they set them on fire just to make like a bonfire. Oh no. <laughs> and then some other animals come in and attack and Montgomery gets killed. Mm. And so Prendick's kind of the only guy, the only person left on this island. But while he has gone out in his rush to go out and see what was happening to Montgomery and all the hubbub, he like knocks over a lamp and he burns Jeez. down the the hut. Okay. That all the supplies were in. And so now he is alone with no supplies and no nothing on this island with all these animal people. That got bad fast. It got bad fast. And so there, there's like one dog man who's kind of friendly with Montgomery. And so Montgomery, not Montgomery, uh, Prendick. So Prendick and the dog man, they kind of go back over to where all the animals hang out. And Prendick is like kind, you know, he he is... Friendly with this dog creature, there are a couple other animals who have some kind of like allegiance or like friendliness with him. But mostly his plan is just like, I'm going to live among these animal people. Like a couple of when I was over here, like chanting with them, a couple of them already like, you know, perceived me as like an equal or one of them. So I'm going to try and just like blend in with the crowd and hope that I can survive for long enough to <laughs> like to make a like plan get, and get a lifeboat. Okay. Um, but after a couple months, like reversion starts happening. Mm. Um, That's a scale I I didn't anticipate being in the book, like a time scale. Yeah, it's he's, it, yeah. He's on this island for like a year. This is as wow. Long as it is. Okay, yeah. this feels like one of those one bad weekend books. But I yeah, guess but no, not. he's on there okay. for a whole yeah. Uh, it was about May when I first distinctly perceived a growing difference in their speech and carriage, a growing coarseness of articulation, a growing disinclination to talk. My ape man's jabber multiplied in volume, but grew less and less comprehensible, more and more simian. Some of the others seemed altogether slipping their hold upon speech, though they still understood what I said to them at that time. Can you imagine language once clear cut and exact softening and guttering, losing shape and import becoming mere lumps of sound again. And they walked erect with an increasing difficulty, though they evidently felt ashamed of themselves every now and now and then I would come upon one or other running on toes and fingertips and quite unable to recover their vertical attitude. <laughs> um, yeah, I realized more keenly than ever what Moreau had told me about the stubborn beast flesh. They were reverting and reverting very rapidly. So he is concerned about these animals becoming just animals and, and killing him before he can escape. Yeah. Um, and it, right. there's just some, there's a, there's a couple of little funny bits in this. Like there's talking about that eight man and the things that he talks to Prendick about. Um, he calls, uh, quote, the sane everyday interests of life. These are little things. And then 
uh, when he, uh, one thing about him entertained me a little. He had a fa- fantastic trick of coining new words. He had an idea, I believe, that to gabble about names that meant nothing was the proper use of speech. He called it big things to distinguish it from little things. Yeah. So if he's like coming up with a new word or trying to think of a new idea, that's a big thing. He's coming up but with slang. Like I love thing. it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I invented some very curious big things for his especial use. I think now that he was the silliest creature I ever met. He had developed in the most wonderful way the distinctive silliness of man without losing one jot of the natural folly of a monkey. <laughs> I love that. So that's cool. But then everybody starts reverting back to being an animal. And Prendick is just like scared for his life. Yeah. Uh, he goes back to the burned out shell of the of the hut because it still holds some kind of like a terror for them. And as they become animals again, they like become less inclined to go out in the daytime. They get more scared of fire again. Prendick's dog man, dog friend gets killed. Mm. Um, and he's just kind of has to wait it out. So one day he sees a sail like on the horizon and the thing is just kind of like drifting toward him sort of lackadaisically. And eventually it does hit the island and there are a couple of dead guys in it, but he's like, I got to I got to get out of here. So he just takes the dead guys off the boat and escapes and he makes it back to society. And at that point, he, he, he's like, you know, I, I can't at this point, the, the book is does a little bit of, you know, who is who is really the animal, which you might yeah. expect of a book that. Yes. Is that it does. the man who what what is who what is the who is really the animal of Prendick? What is. There is, I mean, so here's a, uh, when the animals find Moreau dead, mm. um, oh, and okay. Prendick says, oh, he's not dead. He just, you know, he's still around. Uh, they were staggered at my assurance. An animal may be ferocious and cunning enough, but it takes a real man to tell a lie. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so there's a little bit of that. And then he just like, he has trouble being around people without thinking that, Oh, these are actually, these are actually just weird beast people and I can't be around them. Uh, the book does dabble. You may oh, do you may mean not. like back when he like gets back to, yeah, when he society? gets back to London. Yeah. Oh, he has like a Gulliver's travels horse guy thing where he's like, I can't believe I'm walking around with people. Don't they all know they're animals? <laughs> no, it's not quite that. It's, I mean, he knows that the way he feels is not, Correct. It's just like sure. it's, it's a weird fear that he can't quite get over. Yeah, like he does, yeah, yeah, yeah. he does kind of reassimilate. He finds like a therapist basically that that helps him through it. Who was kind of acquainted with Moreau, and so doesn't like doesn't totally disbelieve the story that Wow Prendick okay. has to tell about what happened to him. Um, and then the other thing, there's um. There is what's the, this is him living among the animals again. This is the, the book kind of like dabbles in a little bit of racism sometimes. Oh, because, sure. You know, Come you on. Might, when you're thinking about like, you know, people who are on some kind of a spectrum between like, you know, proper Englishmen and like the and animals, you're yeah. going to get into some light races. <laughs> yeah. Though it's not as much of a focal point as I think I maybe expected it to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, at first I had a shivering horror of the brutes felt all too keenly that they were still brutes, but insensibly I became a little habituated to the idea of them. And moreover, I was affected by Montgomery's attitude towards them. He had been with them so long. He had come to regard them almost as normal human beings. Uh, he hardly met the finest type of mankind in that seafaring village of Spanish mongrels. The men aboard ship, he told me, seemed at first just as strange to him as the beast men seemed to me. Unnaturally long in the leg, flat in the face, prominent in the forehead, suspicious, dangerous, and cold-hearted. In fact, he did not like men. His heart had warmed to me, he thought, because he had saved my life. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. No, it's like, it's the, like, who do we extend personhood to? What does it mean to take it back or to, yeah. you know? To not extend it in the first place. But the, like the real, the, the thing that Prendick has the most trouble with in, in terms of what Moreau's behavior is, is the, and this is, this is maybe my favorite part of the book. And it came up a little bit in that, in what you were talking about with like vivisection where just yeah, people yeah. were doing it just to, just to see if they could do it. And without like any, motivation Super, like perceptible like aim in my yeah uh, had moreau had any intelligible object i could have sympathized at least a little with him i'm not so squeamish about pain as that i could have forgiven him 
A little even had his motive been hate, but he was so irresponsible, so utterly careless. His curiosity, his mad, aimless investigations drove him on, and the things were thrown out to live a year or so, to struggle and blunder and suffer, at last to die painfully. They were wretched in themselves. The old animal hate moved them to trouble one another. The law held them back from a brief, hot struggle and a decisive end of their natural animosities. It's like, basically, at least when these things were animals, they were, like, happy and because they didn't know any better. Yeah, it's flowers and for this, Algernon thing. And yeah. this guy Moreau just is doing his experiments just because he wants to, because he because he's trying to like figure out how to make an animal into a person, but he doesn't really have any like larger, loftier goals in mind. He's not yeah. doing it because he's not even really doing it out of like spite. You know, sometimes you get a mad scientist who's like, "Oh, the establishment laughed at me, and now I'll show them." Like, there's not even that kind of. He's not monologuing about how he was wrong. No, there's not, not even that kind of like animating force is driving Moreau. He's just like, man, I got to turn this, try to turn this dog into a guy. That's so funny. And I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to keep trying to do it. Like, you know, it's not even like a Mr. Freeze. I have my wife frozen and I'm going to find a cure for her. Like he it's, doesn't. It's very, like you could read into it if you wanted. He's trying to change the puma into a woman. Whoa. If you, if you wanted to read some kind of like bride of frankenstein kind of situation like i'm trying to build me a wife sort of thing into it like you you could that that subtext is there but it's never but it's not really presented as as the point the point the point is more about like what just what can i yeah what can i make happen yeah 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. there there's an article on the british library's website that i found called An Introduction to the Island of Dr. Moreau, Science, Sensation, and Degeneration by Roger Luckhurst. Um, and he, sa- the, he says some of the same stuff I mentioned earlier. Moreau is a character constructed from English fears about new kinds of continental experimental medical science. It's not often <laughs> oh, that I'm from, reading... Ooh, from the continent? It's oh. not often that I'm reading about <laughs> tensions between Britain and the continent, but, you know, I happens. mean, unless you just read anything that... Britain has done in like the last well, decade. Well, nobody but. says the continent capital C like that anymore. Don't they, they? I mean, I guess they just talk about Brussels, but it's the same thing. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it's yeah. the same difference. Good point, good point, good point. Yeah, okay. um, when these ideas arrived in England in the 1870s, there was a vigorous campaign against the vivisection of animals in laboratories. Some of the other reading I did on that that was interesting was that like it made for a lot of strange political bedfellows because there were people who were like, I don't eat meat because, like, why would I hurt an animal? And there are people who are like, I just don't like it when he cuts the dog open because it's like, <laughs> I don't want you to figure out how the brain works because then you're going to kill God. Like, the, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah, that like I'm, I'm happy to eat meat, but I don't want you to, <laughs> I don't want you to tamper in God, like God's domain or exactly. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the first guide to the subject, uh, this guy writes, called The Handbook for the Physiological Laboratory, was denounced as a quote, new moral contagion in England. Then uh, he goes on to write about how a zoology teacher of Wells had written about, like, could you move up the evolutionary scale? And if you could, it was equally possible to decline. And, like, that seems to be one of the the, the article writer kind of ties that to what this book is doing in, in sense of, like, sure, you could m- make these animals closer to people, but they could just as soon fall back. And what would yeah. happen to mm-hmm. you in the process of doing it mm-hmm. is that, you know, are you still a human and what does that even mean? And to your point, Andrew, I think it does sound like to give him a motivating force and kind of a a narrative we might recognize today almost would make it too understandable. What yeah, it's like you don't you don't want to accidentally hand it to him or something like you, you don't yeah, want him sure. to be a sympathetic <laughs> figure at all. Like he's just out doing these stupid mostly pointless experiments and like does seem to be succeeding to some degree, but never in any kind of like permanent Mm -hmm. degree. Like he, he never actually makes anything evolve in a way. Like he he is combining different kinds of animals together and he is giving them more like human like characteristics, but they can't reproduce. They always revert Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes it just makes his whole his whole project seem very futile in a, yeah. in a way that yeah sure and I think that's kind of the point of it I think sounds like it mm-hmm. um I don't I don't need to go into it it did not take long for me like the first Google I did when it was like Dr Moreau legacy it was actually articles 
in like nature about the ethics of like experimenting on animals like that mm-hmm. does seem to be a bad movies aside that actually seems to be the legacy of this book is like a, a good fictional you know compact little nugget of narrative about like why do we do this to animals what lines are we willing to draw around why we and do honestly, it honestly if you're trying to make a dog into a guy it just makes the ethics worse as it, it does gets, as it gets it? Cl- as it gets closer to like operating on a being with like agency mm-hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah it does make it worse mm-hmm. um and so maybe yeah. maybe like drawing attention to the animal plight by being like, well, would you think it was horrifying if it was, if it was this, you know, if we took it one step further, well then if you, if you think that's horrifying, then why don't you think it's horrifying when we do, when we like test makeup on pigs for sure. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Um, You said you found it spooky or, or it's a little creepy. It's, it's yeah. The descriptions of the stuff is creepy. Like I've just Moreau's whole, like, weird and different deal I think is creepy. Like it, it is creepier just to have a guy doing a thing just because yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And to leave you to imagine his motivations or just leave it to be just like cold, random, whatever. You know? Like the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the sequences of the animals kind of like reverting. I find I found pretty creepy. Um, sure. Is it gory? It's, for its not, time, maybe. I, I, maybe, maybe for yeah. its time. I don't. I don't know enough about like literature of of the late nineteenth century oh, to, to okay. say. Like, I mean, I, we we've read a bunch of it, but I don't. <laughs> I joking. can't. I don't have a. I don't have a gory scale to <laughs> to use. Sure, sure. I mean, I get. I I don't think if you have like a problem with blood and gut stuff that there's anything in this book that's going to be sure. gory okay. enough to like set set you off. And I say this as somebody who does have some. Yeah, yeah. Blood and guts stuff. Um but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just it's it's short. I think it builds tension well. I you get into the heart of the like like we have read horror books where it takes forever for you to find the like mem- again, not not to bring it back to Mexican Gothic literally. All oh the no, time, yeah. But to but to bring it back to Mexican Gothic at least one more time. Yeah, is you are like a pretty fair amount of the way through that book before you find out what the actual horror is. Before you move beyond, this is a little weird. Like the vibes of this are a little bad and, and weird. I wonder what's going on. Yeah. Um, this does not beat about the bush as much. Like you get to like oh these are animals that have been like surgically and uh, hypnotically turned into semi-sentient beings yeah pretty fast yeah and that to me is is probably the difference between it being kind of like a sci-fi rendition of the story versus like a this were a horror like just straight horror story where like you don't know what's chasing you or why for most of the story Mm -hmm. i think of like haunting of hill house which i can't remember when you find out like why that house is as bad as it is mm-hmm. if and when you do mm-hmm. but there is like that feeling where you're like spending half of the book going things are bad they're bad it's bad it's, it's scary and it's haunted but like no one knows why right and it is always it always strikes me when one of these classic stories it's like no let's, we're gonna tell you on like page ted like <laughs> here's here are the human animals here's their deal here's why it's bad um, and that did, this would be the one thing I say about the Moreno Garcia, which I have not finished yet. Um, that struck me as I was reading it too. Like pretty early we're up front about what is going on here, mm-hmm. but I have not reached a point in the novel. If there is one where there's kind of like a plot, like it intersects with the plot of the original. Okay. Interesting. So we'll, we'll talk about that. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Well, thanks that's for, really uh, that's really all I got. Yeah, it's it's yeah. pretty it's it's to the point. It's not very long, and it's pretty upfront about all the things that it has to say. Like it just comes out and says most of them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. If you want to have fun, you can go read about how H.G. Wells was uh, digging into his mentions in the Saturday Review when people were writing letters about his bad science in this story, <laughs> and he was like, "No, no, no. Here are I will cite these experiments over here." 
um, you can find those also on the British Library's website. It's pretty mm-hmm. good. Sure. Just didn't know that people in the 19th century were actually in their mentions in the same way <laughs> as we all are today. Listen, we've all they've been in every into every era. The, the poster is born. You know, people yep. people have been posted. <laughs> people have been posting for as long as there's been writing. That's true. The first caveman invented writing, and the second caveman started posting about it. You know. <laughs> Well, thanks for taking me to the <laughs> island, Andrew. Thanks, you, thank you for coming with me and not um, killing me or you know yeah, judging me for get, my horrible experiments. And I'm glad you know, we get to leave. Mm-hmm. We get to leave, right? Yeah, we do get to leave. Okay, though we maybe our, our experience may have changed us forever, but we do get to leave. If this experience changed you forever, send us an email over to pod at gmail.com. or if you want to post, find us online <laughs> at OverduePod where we're posting. Uh, thanks to Jeremy, Pierre, Lexi, Marcy. Shan, Julie, Henry, Tabby, David, and many more for reaching out in the last week or so. Uh, our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about our show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. We have the entire Spooktober spook jewel. The schedule mm. is up. Yeah, it's up, it's up there. The schedule. That's is, good. There right, it there is. You go. Okay, Thank I found you. it. Uh, is up there on the website. Patreon.com slash overdue pod is our Patreon page. Support the show financially. Get access to our Discord community where every Friday Craig posts a happy Friday gif and every Monday I post a gif with Garfield in it about how it's Monday. Yep. <laughs> Which I feel like sums up our just like yeah. relationship and uh-huh. like our outlook. We didn't plan on this happening. No, we didn't plan on it happening. It just kind of happened, but it does end up being very like a very good summary of just yep. like the, the difference between the two. <laughs> yep. It's very like, I'm here to say, look, we all made it everybody. And you're here to say, all right, everybody buckle up. All right, but like, here we go. It might not be good, but we're going to do it. Yep. <laughs> Uh, we also are embarking on a new long read project very soon on Emily Wilson's translation of the Iliad, uh, our return to stop Homer time. Those long read projects you can get er- early uh, when you subscribe uh, via Patreon. And we also do like bonus streams and some other fun stuff. So, yeah. yeah, we've talked several times about you reading Sylvia Moreno Garcia's The Daughter of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Is there anything else we should know? No, nope, that's about it. About what, what you're going to be up to next week. Uh no, that we I can keep that private. You don't have any like bad experiments that you're gonna do. Well, I mean, I'm yeah. There's gonna be a public display of vivisection. Mm-hmm. Um, I have flyers. I'll be passing them out. Okay, I can't wait. Okay. Come join me in the park. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Until we talk to you next week, everybody. I hope you're getting spooked so far. And yeah. Until we hit you next time, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.